Welcome to the Wandering Toward Wisdom podcast. Today, Joel and I talk about what Plato is actually saying about virtue in the Republic. We've been reflecting on what it means to teach virtue. Plato has a lot to say about this, though he seems quite negative about the possibility of being able to teach virtue. Nevertheless, he presents in a kind of indirect way what it looks like to be virtuous. If you have ever been taught the Republic, I think you were probably taught wrong. And this is not merely an academic issue, but in fact reflects how we are confused about virtue. Virtue is not following rules or anything like that, but a kind of proper ordering of the desires that arises from loving the good and the beautiful. We talk about this and we make some gestures toward whether or how this might relate to politics, which we'll be getting into in the following podcasts. Wondering Toward Wisdom is a part of the Tactical Faith Podcast Network. Come visit us at tacticalfaith.com for other podcasts, blogs, and ways to contact us, support us, or get involved with what we're doing. If you have ideas, complaints, suggestions, or requests, or just want to chat, email us at wondering at tacticalfaith.com or follow us on Twitter at Wondering Wisdom. And in both those cases, Wondering has an underscore where the A or the O would be. Enjoy. Welcome back to Wondering Toward Wisdom. I'm Joel, and as always, I'm here with Travis. And today is going to be a transition episode. We've been talking about virtue, about teaching virtue, about um, how do we interact with people that don't want to necessarily learn virtue? How do we show people that they're wrong in a way that might actually be productive to a conversation? Um, And we're going to put all the pieces together today using Plato's Republic. And we're going to talk about how the correct ordering of the person is a way to think about justice, or that justice is the correct ordering of the person, the correct ordering of society. And we're going to use this as a launching point to start talking about things like justice and human rights and um, all of these political issues, if you understand political as in how does a community function together? Not not partisan politics, like you might be hoping for us to tell you who to vote for. We're not going to tell you that, uh, in part because I'm not sure we necessarily know who to vote for. But um, we do want to start thinking about what does justice look like lived out today? Um, how, how do we understand our interactions in our community with our neighbors, all of that kind of stuff? What does it mean to be a Christian and to live those kinds of things out? So today we're going to be kind of wrapping up Plato for the time being uh, to give us a launching pad into getting us ready to think about what does it mean as a Christian to be politically engaged, um, but not partisanly engaged. One of our issues that we tend to have when we're talking about politics is we go directly to to specific issues or policies and we start debating about whether they are the right one or the wrong one. And we, we often don't ground them in a view of ethics and what it means to be a just person. And so we're very insistent about claims about justice, about justice regarding societies, but what, but what is justice? What, what does it mean to be a just person? And uh, I think we all know exactly what justice is, which is just a sign look at that, me. Yeah. <laughs> justice <laughs> is whatever I'm doing. But that, you know, uh, justice is, is more complicated, more difficult than than what we might uh, what we might think. And so 
Plato's Republic is a long discussion of the nature of justice. And if you've listened to these podcasts at all, you realize that one of the first things I'm going to tell you is the way you were taught Plato's Republic is wrong. And uh, whoever taught it to you doesn't understand Plato's Republic. And you just need to listen to me because I have it right. That's a little bit of arrogant humor, but uh, I also believe it. So Plato's Republic is about is about the idea of justice. It's made up of 10 books, and we're really only going to talk about uh, maybe three of them. And we're going to try to do this all quickly. And so I kind of want to run through it. So, but the first thing, maybe spend a, spend a moment just thinking about what does it mean to be a just person? And I think most often when we think about being a just person, what we think about is in terms of our interactions with other people. And curiously enough, what Socrates does in the Republic, I mean, the, the, title of the, the title of the dialogue is based on the idea that they're building this city, and the city is this Republic. But the city is representative of the individual soul. And so the different parts of the city represent different elements in the person's soul. Even so, that's a bit of a misunderstanding of what Plato is doing in the, in the Republic, I believe. And so I, I kind of want to explain why that is the case. Uh, you probably, if you've ever read the Republic or been taught the Republic, you've probably been taught something like this. A just person is a person in which the rational uses the spirited element that is the, the, the spirited element is the part that likes shame and victory and so forth, or uses shame and likes victory to control the appetites. And so the just city is the one where the philosophers are kings, where you have the this kind of military slash police force that is desi- that desires victory, and they they sort of you know well they they're the military and the police, and none of them are allowed to have any possessions or anything like that. And then you have the lowest class, which is the only class that's actually allowed to have any finances, any kind of money, any kind of possessions, and that's the the large majority of them. That's the view of the republic that's generally taught. It's wrong. That's not what that's not what Plato's trying to say in the Republic, or at least it's half wrong. Yeah, what Plato is really interested in in terms of justice is really what what Joel and I have been talking about this entire time uh, over the last few episodes, and this is why this is a good transition to get into the idea of of quite of political issues is what is the idea of the organization of of one's soul. And so justice is how the soul itself is organized. And the word soul, uh, don't think of necessarily non-physical. We're talking, just let, let's simplify this and just say, it's the way the desires are, or, are organized. Because for Plato, when he talks about the soul, he talks about, he also talks about physical desires. And normally we don't connect those with the soul. But uh, so he's using the word a little bit different than we tend to. Uh, he's just talking about maybe the, the set of desires that a person is or that, that kind of defines who you are. And the question is, uh, what does it mean to order the desires? But that's not how the question starts. The question starts with the, the book, the, the dialogue begins with the, with the question of what justice, uh, what actually is justice. And it starts off like we would expect. It's paying back what's owed, given to each person what, what is owed them. This doesn't work. 
And, you know, there's a, there's a complicated reason why it doesn't work because there's sometimes when you shouldn't give people what is owed them. And, uh, they also include the idea that what is owed certain people is to be hurt because they're your enemies or they've done something badly. And Socrates suggests that virtue, the good doesn't hurt, can't hurt anyone. It can only build up in some way. The discussion sort of continues. And finally, this guy, this is the interesting part, uh, it's one of the most fun parts of the Republic. This guy named Thrasymachus jumps in. Uh, this is still in book one of the Republic. He jumps in, enraged like a beast, and starts saying, justice is the advantage of the stronger. And the reason why this is interesting is because this is a this is a perennial theme that is present in our society as well. And what he means by justice being the advantage of the stronger is justice is the set of rules and laws that keep those in power in power and keep those who don't have power out of power. It keeps the rich rich and the poor poor, keeps the strong strong and the weak weak. It keeps the power, you know, the powerful powerful and the not powerful uh, not powerful. And therefore, the one who overthrows the powerful becomes truly, you know, becomes just and the one who, who tries to overthrow the powerful but fails to is supremely unjust Stuff like so. This is, this is a question you probably thought about. You know, what if uh, I think there's even a show out there called Man in the High Tower or something? What if the Nazis had won World War II? What if Hitler had won? Well, we'd have a different version of history. What if we'd lost lost the Revolutionary War? We'd have a different version of history. George Washington would be some sort of horrible traitor who is unjust, and you know, we would talk about how King George was a great guy or whatever. And so, this is kind of what the Rasimicus is getting at. And the question is. If, if our evaluation of what justice is, is based on who's in charge, then justice really has no grounding and our only purpose in life is to seek power. And Thrasymachus has sophist tendencies. We've talked about these guys, the sophists or the sophists, depending on if you sit on them. The idea that human desire, there's, humans aren't drawn to the good, we're simply drawn to power, possession, just like animals. That's kind of hidden underneath what Thrasymachus is saying. Socrates shuts him down. And the way that he shuts him down ultimately is to talk about this idea of outdoing. And if you happen to have the Republic handy, uh, this happens in book one, starting around 349E. Uh, and you can you can look up the Republic online or whatever. I think we'll, maybe we'll put a link where you can where you can look it up in the show notes. Well, I mean, it, this actually kind of starts right back around 349A, but but how he eventually shuts Thrasymachus down is it, there, there's two elements of what Thrasymachus is talking about. First of all, the, a ruler does not rule for the sake of those over whom the ruler is ruling. So like a shepherd does not do a good job for the sheep so that the sheep might flourish, but does a good job for the sheep so that so that the shepherd might consume or fleece the sheep. So it's always for the shepherd. It's always for the payment. Uh, that's one element. The other element is, is, uh, that the unjust person is always trying to outdo everyone. And this idea, this is weird, keeps coming up, outdo, outdo, outdo. And the, the, the Greek word is, uh, pleoneteo, which actually where we get, uh, the word you may have heard of, it's sort of translated, pleonexia. And pleonexia is, is this desire to have more, uh, and often to, to have more than other people. So I don't know, Joel. Have you have you used this word this word in talking about the virtues and the vices? Whenever you've taught it, pleonexia. I I haven't, but 
the the concept has definitely been there. If you think about the famous quote from St. Augustine, uh, Lord, make me chase, but not yet. There's a sense in which we kind of, in which I've talked about how the, the virtues are things that we feel like we're supposed to want, but we, we look at the life that it seems to produce and we're like, uh, but there are other things I want to do before I have to be that kind of a good person. So how can I kind of do the bad things so I can get to do the bad things before I become a good person? And that, you know, I don't use the word pleonexia, but but that's the idea that we're getting at. It, 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 we look at the virtuous life and we say that's not enough by itself. We need something more that doesn't necessarily fit into the virtuous life in order for me to be happy with my virtue. I have to have something more than virtue itself. Yeah. And if you think, even think about uh, Christianity, if we, if we present the idea of, of being saved as, yeah, you have to do a few things like, you know, sort of submit to Jesus and stuff like that, but then you're going to get paid in the end. You're going to get a serious payday, right? Or at least you're going to avoid some serious pain. So that, that's what makes it all worth it. And, and the, the reward for virtue is always exterior to virtue. Is, and it's a, it's a problem. And the idea is that virtue itself isn't worth having unless it's going to pay off with whatever, with whatever your pleonexia drives you to. And so this idea of, and it really, so it has, to, it has this idea of wanting more and more and more and more and more. And the, what's curious is that Socrates shows in his conversation with Rosimachus shows that pleonexia and justice are opposites of one another, that the unjust is filled with pleonexia and the just has no pleonexia. And that's true with, with all good, all things that reflect the good. And he's talking about musicians and doctors and all this other kind of stuff. They all lack pleonexia insofar as they're a good doctor, insofar as they're a good musician, so on and so forth. And that's not the primary point. The primary point is if you jump to, to book two of the Republic, Thersimachus has been officially shut down. Glaucon and Adamantus jump in. They want to be proved. They, they want Socrates to prove to them that justice, in fact, makes one happy in itself. I mean, this, this is just what we were talking about, right? We always want, we want, yeah, it'd, it'd be great to be virtuous because I admire people who are virtuous and I want to be admired. Well, now you've just, now you're not caring about virtue. You're caring, caring about the payment for it. You're like the ruler who rules not for the sheep, but for the sake of fleecing them, right? So I'm going to be virtuous, not for the sake of being virtuous because I love virtue, but for the sake of being admired for being virtuous. Or I'm going to be, you know, we're always looking for a payment that's exterior to it. I'm going to follow Jesus, not because I love Jesus and not because I'm filled with a desire for Jesus's purposes, but because I'm going to get paid in the end. Because when I die, I'm going to go to heaven or at least avoid hell or whatever. We, we tend to see virtue as a means to an end rather than the goal is being mm -hmm. virtuous and loving. And so it's just like, you know, you work all week. So that you were able, so that, uh, you know, on the weekend you can relax or so you can retire later on or whatever, which, you know, that can feel normal for work, but it shouldn't be that way with virtue. Right. In this discussion, so Glaucon and Anamentus say, we want, we want to see that virtue is actually desirable in itself. That justice is desirable in itself. And Socrates says, I think, I think the just person who has nothing who is treated as if he's entirely, who receives no payment for being just, in fact, receives all the punishment that you'd normally receive for being unjust, that that person is happier 
than the one who's unjust and gets all the payments of someone who is just. So you can think, think of someone who's entirely unjust, but is praised as being fully virtuous and good and kind and compassionate, and they get everything they want, and they take from people, and they abuse them, but people always think they're great. You can imagine that person, and put the, the other person on the other side, the person who is fully just and kind and giving and loving, and yet is treated as if, as if he's entirely unjust, and then is, you know, maybe crucified for people that he's giving himself to, or maybe he's forced to drink hemlock. Similar ends to similar to people who are similar in some ways. <laughs> so, so, I mean, at, at, at one level, what Socrates is saying right there is maybe our sense of what happiness is, is the wrong picture. Right? Maybe, maybe what, what we think happiness is about or what makes us happy isn't where we find our ultimate fulfillment. Yeah. It's, it's so easy to think about what generally makes us happy. And I think we're often uncomfortable to say it out loud, but this comes up in the conversation with, with Glaucon. So they're talking about that. They say, well, we can't, it's hard to figure out what justice is in a person. So let's talk about a city. What would justice look like in a city? And maybe that would be like a macro version of justice in a person and they end up building sort of the simple city in the you know they imagine that you know this is what it would take we need these people that so on and so forth and then socrates describes their lifestyle and their lifestyle is simple it's healthy you might say it's full of kindness and basically not going beyond maybe kindness in the right word but not going beyond what is necessary for happiness and fulfillment but Glaucon doesn't like it. Glaucon says, he says this, for example, it seems that you make your people feast without any delicacies. All right, this is 372B or 372C. And so Socrates offers some delicacies, olives, cheese, boiled roots, vegetables, and salt. And then of Those course- Those are my kind of delicacies. <laughs> he says they'll also have desserts, you know, figs, chickpeas, and beans- and they can roast myrtle and acorns, drinking moderately. And Glaucon's response is interesting. He said, if you were founding a city for pigs, Socrates, he replied, wouldn't you fatten them on the same diet? The idea is that pigs will eat anything, and so you'll give them anything. It doesn't matter if they like it or not. You know, that's what he's saying. And and Socrates is like, well, then how should I feed these people? And so, uh, Glaucon responds, in the conventional way. That is in the way that we normally do it in our society. If they aren't to suffer hardship, they should recline on proper couches, dine at a table, and have the delicacies and desserts that people have nowadays. This is this is a pivot point in the entire republic. Because what's going on here, and by the way, it's a it's like in about two paragraphs. Once Socrates submits to Glaucon's view of how the city should be, which Socrates always does this, he submits to his interlocutor's views. And then shows that they're ridiculous. But uh, once he submits to this view, and he says, I don't think this is, a, I think the city you, you want to build is a luxurious city. It's a city with a fever. It's a sick city. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think the true city is the city we were talking about before. But he goes, well, you know, if we, if we talk about a luxurious city or a city with a fever, we can talk about how justice and injustice grow. So let's go ahead and do it. And within about two, within a page, you have, you have a city that needs to go to war. 
because what it can provide for itself is insufficient and needs to take from other people. So it's no, it's no longer sufficient for itself. It has to begin grasping out and reaching out and taking what doesn't belong. And so, and in fact, and if they had never gone to war, then it would never would have formed that second tier of people from which from which the top tier is derived. So the entire hierarchical structure that comes out in the Republic later on, where you have the philosopher kings and you have these auxiliaries who are like the military police force, and then you have the lower level, which are considered the appetites, is derived from the fact that Glaucon wants more. So they create a luxurious city that then has to go to war. If this had never happened, if 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 Socrates hadn't given in to Glaucon, we might have seen what justice looks like in a healthy city or a healthy soul. But we don't see it because Glaucon interrupts and says, we need more. We need, you need to surrender to my pleonexia. Your simple life of virtue is not sufficient to fulfill me. I need something else. Give me some cakes, some couches. One one way you can think of it is Glaucon has said, justice isn't enough by itself. So show me what justice looks like when I can have some injustice with it. That's precisely the case. That's almost exactly what's going on here. Because remember, Pleonexia, that desire for more is opposite of justice, according to Book One of the Republic. And Glaucon says, yeah, I like your justice. Can we throw a little injustice in there as well? Can we throw a little bit of desire, uh, uh, an obsession with more? And Socrates even, he says, uh, this is 373b, he says, we have to enlarge our city for the healthy one is no longer adequate. We must increase it in size and fill it with a multitude of things that go beyond what is necessary for a city. The, the, the language there is almost of outdo. I mean, the, the, the Greek word pleonexia doesn't show up here, but this is this, this is translated because it, it holds the same idea. It's this, it's this outdoing idea that keeps coming that, that showed up in, in, uh, in, uh, Socrates conversation with Thrasymachus outdo, outdo, outdo. We have to go beyond. We have to go beyond. We have to do more. We have to get out. You know, we have to have more. And the idea is that, like you said, even though they asked for virtue, to show that virtue was sufficient to make someone happy, even without the rewards, what what Glaucon is saying, okay, yeah, maybe he doesn't get, maybe you don't get the rewards for justice, but if you have justice, can you at least have a little bit of this other going beyond and and getting more and more and more and more, and what you end up, so here's here's sort of the entire point of what's going on. That there's two, there's really two main points that that I think we want to get to. One is that justice is not about let me start with let me start with the opposite. Let me start with what it's with what it's not about. Yeah, and then we can we can modify it uh, to talk about what we're talking about, why we've talked about these training of the desires and so on and so forth with virtue. We tend to think justice is the is a way of enforcing, sort of like external enforcement principles, laws to make sure that people act particular ways and treat one another fairly. And the but underlying all of this is that people. People will be pursuing things beyond what will make them happy and beyond what is, or let me just put it this way, beyond what is good. And given that we're filled with a world and we ourselves in our souls are filled with desire for that which is beyond what is good for us, we therefore need enforcement mechanisms. And this is what, what comes up in the rest of the rest of the Republic. And if you read the Republic, you realize this description of you, of, of the rash. I mean, let me just describe it for you. The, the view 
of justice for the feverish in the feverish soul is this. You have to use your reason. Your reason has to, sorry, your reason has to use shame and threats against your appetites to keep to keep them in line. And the help the, the the feverish city made just is built upon a noble lie, but it's still a lie. So it's built upon an untruth that's meant to cause people fear. And it's enforced through a series of, well, threats. It threats and lies are what hold everything in place. And the idea is that because I don't, I've never trained my desires appropriately, and I'm not interested in training my desires, what I want to do is know that I'm just, but also be able to take what I want. Well, you can do that, but you're going to have to, you have to set up some fences, some laws, some threats, some control. But that's not really justice. That's, that's a, that's brittle. It's, it's weak. It's going to fail. And in fact, Socrates even says this. He says, every city ultimately falls into injustice, into, into greater and greater injustice, speaking of this kind of city. So what would be the kind of city and what would be the kind of soul that doesn't need enforcement mechanisms that isn't going to fall into injustice, but, but maintains justice? What does it look like? Well, it lacks the obsession with more. Well, how could you lack a desire for more? Who doesn't desire more stuff? What kind of person doesn't desire more stuff? Well, the person who finds joy and fulfillment in justice, in, in virtue itself. But who can actually just love virtue for itself? This is where part of the difficulty of training someone in virtue comes comes in because if someone doesn't love virtue for virtue's sake, getting them to try to be virtuous for virtue's sake isn't going to happen. They, 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 they all, not just, you know, other people, but myself included. I, I, I need that external reward. I need something good that accompanies virtue to motivate me to want to be virtuous. But if I'm truly seeking to be a good person over time, the exterior or the external reward is going to fall away and it's going to be virtue that I, I love. But the, the, the tricky thing is making sure we make that transition because it's so easy to stay hung up on the external rewards to hang, stay hung up on, on this additional part because when we don't desire the right things to begin with, we can't just flip a switch and suddenly desire the right things. We can't tell ourselves that we have that we're desiring the right things because and that be enough. Like we have to get that, you know, affirmation from someone else or we have to see some productive change in our lives to feel like this is worth it. But in the end, it's 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 not about the affirmation. It's not about the change in, in us make, making us feel good about ourselves. It's not about some external reward. It's about loving virtue or, or, or from a, you know, the Christian standpoint, loving the triune God and, and becoming like the triune God, becoming like Jesus. Yeah. This, and this is really important for Plato. I mean, Plato doesn't, Plato obviously doesn't talk about the triune God, not directly at least, but this is how I've often taught what's going on in, in, in Plato's Republic. It's as if our desires are confused about what they want. And so uh, if you if you think of desires as, think of them as a series of arrows. 
so lines with kind of an arrow point at each end. And what, what seems to happen in most people is we are never fulfilled. And the primary reason we're, we're not fulfilled, uh, at least in terms of when we're talking about desires, is because our desires are at odds with one another. They're sort of bent out of shape, aiming different directions. Or they're all aiming different directions. And so they're pulling in different directions and, and you don't really get anywhere. You know, I, you know, I want to be in good shape, so I work out. But then, you know, I eat three cinnamon rolls. And so that counteracts that. And so I feel like garbage. I'm and, feeling attacked right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we just made cinnamon rolls this week. So, I mean. But yeah, so there's there's this all there's this there's this back and forth. You know, you want to stay up late so you can watch the show, but then you get up the next morning, and and you, you're always divided against. We're always divided against yourself. You want to do the good thing, but you know if you do the good thing, you're not going to get the fun thing. And if you but when you get the fun thing, you're upset because you didn't do the good thing. You know, and so there's there's all this there's there's all this division. The issue for the issue for Plato, and this is actually a metaphysical question that underlines underlies Plato's entire way of thinking is whether there's something out there that all of our desires can in fact be aimed toward at the same time. So we do the virtuous thing because we're looking for payment. But that means you don't love virtue. It means you love payment. And I mean, can we love virtue? I don't know, but what is virtue? Virtue is loving the good thing, right? What is virtue in Christianity? Love God, love neighbor. What is virtue for Plato? Loving the good. Can we love the good? Well, I mean, what's the good? It's an abstract term. Well, I don't think it is that quite that abstract to Plato. Plato spends a lot of time talking about this, and Plato thinks the good and the beautiful are the same thing. And when you think about loving the beautiful, that's, that begins to make more sense, but then we automatically start thinking about sex, and everything gets confused. Plato's idea of virtue is the idea of in fact, and you see this in the healthy city before Glaucon interrupts him. It's everything working toward the same end. Every every one of your desires aimed toward the same goal. And so you're not divided against yourself. These other these these other things that rise up are are when your desires are confused. So I look at the good, but I don't see it clearly. I'm kind of full of ignorance. So instead of really wanting the good, which is what virtue is, I want I want a cake and some couches. I want the prostitutes and pastries, which rise up immediately. And then eventually, and because of that, I'm at war with the people around me because I want more stuff. And in fact, I don't just want more. I want to make sure I have more than my neighbor, right? And you you go down this entire line until you're in, you know, where we live right now in society. And the problem there is that we're just divided. And so you're never, you never experience fulfillment because you've never acted in a way where all your desires are aimed toward the same thing. But there are moments in our lives where we do experience. Maybe I shouldn't say you've never, but ha- haven't you found one of those moments where you feel like everything is lined up? And here we got a little bit of retrieval of ethics by, uh, I've lost his name. Remind Talbot me of his name. Brewer. Talbot Brewer, right? This idea that, uh, that there are times when you almost lose where things, I mean, people call it, uh, what's the other language that people use for this? Like the flow. The flow, things like that, right? Not that, not the lady who tries to sell you insurance, but the, the other kind of flow where you, you're in something, you're, you're producing something and you almost lose track of time or something, right? It's like you're, you're, it's like you're in the zone. Like it, it just, it just is easy to just make it happen. I mean, I think athletes and, 
and musicians, you know, are are apt to have these moments where, <laughs> you know, that you know, the basketball player who just can't miss kind of thing, or or the musician that everything comes together in that moment where it's not just a technically perfect, but but artistically it's expressing exactly what they want to express in mm-hmm. that in that you know technical uh, perfection as well and 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 it's not hard to do it just kind of flows from you it's not that you're like focusing on any part of it it's just kind of happening to you in part because of all the work you've done beforehand but the it 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 just happens it, it almost feels can feel almost like an out of body experience because you're almost watching yourself do it than making yourself yeah. do it. Yeah. And you're like, you can imagine it. How I would almost describe it is it's as if you were doing what God commanded us to do without the thistles and the thorns growing up and choking things out. And this could be any, and you can, you experience this. You can experience it in gardening. You can experience it in carpentry. You can experience it in, I don't know, race car driving. You can experience it in music. It's just, it's most evident in certain sorts of things like that, right? And when musicians have that, it's not because they just happen to sit down and spontaneously produce this. It's because they worked for it. They formed, they crafted, they directed themselves. They directed their bodies and their desires toward this sort of thing. And that's the idea here is virtue. The virtue that we're trying to develop is to love the good. And it's not easy. You can't just say, okay, well, I'll love the good then. That's not how it works. You have to train yourself to see, to recognize, to love the good. And and by the way, a big part of that is Socrates' method of showing you that you don't know nearly as much as you think you do. Because we know how the world works. We know what's going to fulfill us. The, the billboards tell us that. If I can just get Shannara to win me a $10 million lawsuit, I'll be just happy. Sorry. Joel doesn't live in Alabama. He doesn't know what I'm talking about. But... Uh, you in Alabama know what I'm talking about, but uh, uh, he's on like every other billboard. So, uh, you you know, if I just had more money, if I just had a better car, if I just had a better house, if I just had more of this, if I just had more of that, if I just had a better whatever. No, that's not what will fulfill you. The fulfillment comes toward loving the good and having your desires directed toward that. So you are, in fact, moving toward it. But what does that look like? Well, I We've talked we've talked a little bit about that, and it's way beyond what we can talk about here. But this is this is Plato's idea of what it means to be a just person. It doesn't mean you're constrained by laws to act particular ways. It doesn't mean that you're acting in a way that's fair, even though that'll probably arise out of that. But that's not the key element. The key element is that your desires are working together, directing you toward the good itself. But what does that have to do with political justice? Well, we can't tell you right now. <laughs> I, but as as a brief, brief preview, part of what we're going to be talking about is when we talk about justice as Christians, it's not just what laws do we need, but it's it's how do we get society to to move in the same direction? How, how do we cast a vision that can move in the same direction? And, and laws might play a role in that, but if you think laws are the end of the discussion, then you're, mis, you're misunderstanding justice just like Glaucon and everyone else of the Republic and most people who read the Republic. Um, we need more than r- laws. We need more than rules. And we need, we need the good. And we're going to talk more about what does that good look like how do we 
uh, see that good? How do we help others to see that good? And and what can we do to help our societies? Maybe we, and maybe not even our societies, but our communities to be shaped toward true justice. Um, in the upcoming weeks, we're going to look at, um, Tim Keller had a piece come out on, uh, on justice in the last couple months. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some, uh, other things. We're going to talk about human rights. I did my dissertation on human rights. So I, I could talk for a long time about, uh, things related to that. Um, but our hope is that as we, we move into this, uh, election, upcoming election, that we can give you some some tools to think about the world, not that's going to fit nicely into these these partisan times, but into ways that might transcend the discussion that is happening before us or give us a way to um, get at the heart of what Christians are ultimately focused on. And it probably doesn't have a whole lot to do with making sure my guy, whichever that guy is, wins the election. Yeah. And, and, and kind of the point here is, like Joel said, the church and, in fact, individuals who are pursuing virtue are above. That sounds tricky. We're aiming for something more than what a nation could ever achieve. And so uh, there. But we'll, we'll we'll get more into more detail. But I think that's what yeah, uh, that's what I hear Joel saying, and that's that's what I mean. That's what, that's what we're trying to get at. That's what that's what Plato here is saying too. And part of the point of Plato over and over again is humans keep failing to achieve this. Uh, the one thing I would recommend you avoid is if anybody says, "Listen, if you elect me, we'll achieve perfect justice." You should be pretty uh, leery about such claims. Mm-hmm. because perfect justice is not found in a set of constraining laws, but found in loving the good, or to put it in terms where, terms more specific, loving God and loving your neighbor, loving the triune God and loving your neighbor. But we'll get more into that, and, uh, you know, eventually we'll tell you who to vote for, but I'm not even on the ticket, so <laughs> you, me, but you have to write me in. So, okay. That's all for today. Uh, Until next time, I'm Travis. I'm Joel, and have a great day. Thanks for listening.